Howdy, folks. Thanks for tuning in to another edition of TGC Midweek. We are back on the pod. Happy to be with you after a couple weeks of absence. Jacob McCandless, Michael Novak, joining you today to launch a new series. But before we do that, Michael, checking in, man. How's it going? Haven't seen you in a little while. <laughs> it's it's going well. We, uh, we started some distance education with uh-huh. our oldest. And it's funny, today he is doing pre-algebra in seventh grade. And he brought a problem to me this morning, and I had no clue how to do it. Oh, gosh. Rachel had no clue how to do it. And eventually, he asked me the question, why do I need to know this anyway? Am I going to use it later in life? (laughs) And it was a great question, and I gave him the company response. I said, you're going to use this a lot later in life. (laughs) Good and well knowing that he probably won't use this later in life at all. (laughs) Yeah. Unless he's an accountant or a banker like that, you. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, I was about to say, I use, I use algebra uh, quite frequently, just not in yeah. like a, you know, find X in the system of <laughs> equations kind of thing. Well, the other funny thing about this is this morning we had somebody coming over for coffee and it just happened to be one of our former students that was a master's in mathematics. Oh, man. And so we told him, go do your other subjects. And when our friend gets here at nine o'clock, she'll help you understand. And sure enough, she knew it in a second and oh, helped man. him understand. But there's nothing more frustrating. Frustrating. I don't know if you remember then than not being able to understand how math works mm-hmm. when you're in fifth, sixth, seventh grade. And I can only imagine being a math teacher with 25 frustrated students yep. in your class. That's got to be a horrible feeling. Yeah. When I was in sixth grade, I remember that's when math started getting hard. Mm-hmm. Um, between fifth and sixth grade, my family moved from um, moved to one of the middle schools that was more rigorous than uh-huh. than the middle school that I would have been zoned to and started going, you know, to math class, pre-AP math class with people that knew what they were doing and I didn't. And I started getting C's in math. And so we there was a uh, um, an outlook adjustment that had to happen in the McCandless household <laughs> around uh, how we think about math. And then seventh grade, I remember – uh, I remember being so pumped to get like an 82 or something <laughs> on a math test in Miss Austin's pre-algebra class. So uh, math, was, math was always tough. Now I sort of do it for a living, so I don't know really how, sure. how that works. But Well, I guess we, we probably should jump in, but I'll, I'll, I want to tell this story because in college, you had to take a math class in order to graduate in my degree program. But you could substitute math for a logic class where oh, you're nice. putting arguments into uh-huh. a mathematical formula. And so after my 11th grade year, I never took another math class. <laughs> <laughs> and I was very thankful for it. Oh, gosh. Yeah, I, I, I did the AP thing and got away from that in, in college. And then I, I went into college basically as a sophomore. And so then everything was just major classes. So sure. to the extent that... Uh, addition, subtraction, multiplication, and division is math. Uh huh. You know, I was an accounting major. Then, yeah, that, that was the, all the math that I did. So, very nice. Yeah, it's good, good. How do we end up talking about math? <laughs> Distance education. <laughs> yeah, we're all we're all engaged in it, I guess. If you've yep. got kids, and now uh, hard pivot to content material. Yes, uh, Michael, we're launching a new series this week, um, talking about the Bible. Now, mm-hmm. uh, when we planned this a couple of weeks ago, we sat down with some paper and kind of chart some things out. I came home and Brittany said, so did y'all talk about what you're going to do next? And I said, yes. And she said, well, what are you going to talk about next? And I said, the Bible. Jesus. (laughs) And that was not an acceptable response, apparently. So uh, we are going to talk about the Bible. Uh We're going to talk about the Bible for the next several months. Um, Tell me why that's important. Tell me what we're going to be doing. Mm -hmm. Uh, Lay it out for us. Sure. 
Well, I think the goal for us over the next few months is just to give folks a general outline of what the scriptures are about. A lot of times I'll use myself as an example. I was in seminary. Uh, it was um, kind of the first worship service that I attended. Um, it was kind of the welcome service. And so all the professors and the president were there. And I was actually sitting next to the president of the seminary at the time. This was pre-COVID day, so we were very tightly packed into this small <laughs> chapel. And somebody was preaching from the book of Nehemiah. Oh, man. And I remember uh, the Pew Bible was in front of me, and I pulled the Bible uh, to open up to Nehemiah. And, you know, I'll quiz you here, Jacob, if okay. that's okay. Is Nehemiah before or after the Psalms? It is before, isn't it? Ding, ding, ding. It's just before. That's right. Well... I, as a new seminary student, thought, Nehemiah, that sounds like a prophet. Yep. The prophets are after the Psalms. <laughs> and so I did that whole number where you just kind of open up your Bible and flip through it with your thumb, yep, hoping yep, that I'll yep. finally <laughs> land on Nehemiah. And I was convinced it was after the Psalms. I kept looking, looking, and I'm sitting next to the president of the seminary, next to another professor on my other side, and eventually they're noticing that oh, I'm no. not <laughs> able to find the book of Nehemiah, and I've got to go to the table of contents. Oh in order to look at the page number and finally get my way to Nehemiah, which, in fact, is before the Psalms. Yes. I was in completely different real estate than I should have been in. Because it's a history, really. It's a history. Yeah. And, uh, and so all that to say, um, we just don't know our Bibles very well. And, uh, and I think the goal of the next few months is to help us piece that together a little better, um, to help folks understand what they're holding in their hands, how it fits together, um, and uh, maybe just take some some of the mysticism away from, mm -hmm. you know, this this is it's a difficult book in places. Um, but if you put just some pieces of the puzzle together, um, it can make all the difference in the world and how we understand it. And I think that's what we want to do over the next few uh, months is, mm -hmm. is help people understand what they're holding and reading uh, better. That's right. So just just some more interesting stats to kind of go along with your personal antidote. Um, according to Barna, um, something like 90% of people say that they are at least somewhat knowledgeable about the Bible, but fully a third of them can't, can't say where Jesus was born. Nearly half of them don't know all of the Ten Commandments. And this one is one of my favorites. Um, according to 82% of Americans, the phrase, God helps those who help themselves, is an actual Bible verse. <laughs> and those identified as Born again Christians did better by one percent. That's according to an article by Albert uh, Moeller. He's he's quoting from Barna Research mm. as well. Some more funny things: twelve percent of adults believe that Joan of Arc was Noah's wife. Mm. A survey of graduating graduating high school seniors revealed that over fifty percent thought that Sodom and Gomorrah were husband and wife. And a considerable number of respondents to one poll indicate that the Sermon on the Mount was preached by Billy Graham. <laughs> so wow. Yeah. Biblical literacy yes. uh, certainly something that is uh, that, that's hard to, that that is lacking in our culture. Certainly, I remember maybe it was a year ago when you preached out of Jonah. Mm -hmm. I had to do that that Christian walk of shame and go oh, to yeah. the, go to the table of contents Absolutely. and find that four chapter book. Well, the other thing I'd say too about all of this is it's just normal and it's these are interesting stats, um, but uh, folks should feel and I felt shame and I shouldn't have felt it. 
it's perfectly fine to go to the table of contents. That's what it's there for. Um, and, uh, and it's not just the average everyday person, like you're mentioning, Jacob, from these, Mm -hmm. um, from these polls. It's also seminary students. Uh, an interesting anecdote is, um, if, if you, uh, enter into covenant theological seminary before you can graduate, you have to pass a Bible proficiency test. And it's basically just Bible trivia, about 90 to 100 questions of straight Bible trivia. And uh, 20 years ago, 90% of incoming MDiv students would pass this exam on their Mm. first try. Fast forward to today, and 90% of students fail on their first attempt. And it normally takes students two, three, four, sometimes five attempts to pass this Bible content exam. And so it's just not abnormal for folks not to know their, their Bible very well. And uh, I don't think yeah. there's any shame in that, um, not, not meaning to make people feel stupid um, for not knowing. But that's the goal of this next few months. Yeah. All right, Michael, help. you teed it up. Um, how many times did it take you to pass that? <laughs> I was not teeing it up so I could toot my own horn. I passed it the first time. Nice, nice. So Bible um, trivia. We should recommend that to Flying Saucer. I bet we could put together. Oh, that would be, that might be a hard sell. Although <laughs> I will say, passing it the first time, there there were some good guesses. Yeah, um, and so I got lucky in nice, some ways. Nice. Uh, okay, so uh, you mentioned before. Really, what we're doing is just giving folks kind of an overview. Um, of Bible, I mean, we're really just going to go start to finish and kind of take it in chunks. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think after today, the next three or four weeks, we're going to be talking about the Pentateuch. So that's the first five books of the Bible. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're going to carve it up into sort of these logical chunks, and we are going to take a um, 30,000 foot view. I've used this other analogy before. I think we're going to be like a submarine cruising at a certain level and then taking periodic dives, yep. deep dives. Um, we are not going to restrain ourselves from uh, pursuing the fun topics um, mm-hmm. or the odd topics. Yep. So that should be we're, – we're just going to have a lot of fun with this, and, and we, sure. we think folks will appreciate that along the way. I think we're going to try to appease both uh, the person who has been in church for a long time and could ace the Bible trivia exam, mm-hmm. um, but also for someone who is exploring the Bible maybe for the first time um, – we're gonna we're gonna talk at a level that's not going over anyone's head. We're yeah. not gonna be super technical. Mm-hmm. Um, hopefully, this will be helpful to some folks. Absolutely, yeah. I think that's that's the goal, and uh, look forward to diving into some of these interesting topics. Uh, and as always, if you've got questions, because I think this is a, a podcast series that will elicit some questions, please send them in. Yeah, love to have those to jump off of every week. That's we a great can. point. So since we're launching into Pentateuch. Um, Next week, now's the time to send in your question about creation days, about giants, and mm-hmm. about uh, all the other sure. <laughs> the f- fun and interesting and mysterious things that happen in, in Genesis and the plagues and all that stuff that, that usually generates lots of conversation. Questions will definitely be important. Um, Michael, do you want to kind of just go through very briefly the major chunks of Scripture, how we're going to cut it up? So uh, in your Bible, you've got 66 different books. Uh, 39 of those are found in the Old Testament, and 27 uh, books or letters are found in the New Testament. And it's interesting that we're holding a book in our hands uh, that was basically written over a number of um, centuries uh, by dozens of different authors on three different continents and three different languages who did not know each other, Mm -hmm. um, but it's got a unified message of God's redemptive acts in this world, a unified message that points to Jesus in the Old Testament and points back to him, uh, or points to Jesus in the Old Testament and points back to him in the New Testament. 
And that's just amazing in and of itself. Mm -hmm. Um, But there are a few passages that I wanted to turn to tonight to uh, maybe get the gears turning about um, as we think about Scripture and before we dive into the 30,000-foot view. What is the Bible? Um, In 2 Timothy chapter uh, 3, verses 16 and 17, um, Paul gives us a, a good definition of what we're holding in our hands. He says, All Scripture, or the Bible, is inspired by God. It's profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. And then in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, um, the author says, The Word of God, or the Bible, is living and effective and sharper than any double-edged sword, penetrating as far as the separation of soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It is able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And so, first and foremost, I think we've got to recognize what we're holding is God's Word. Um, his, um, his Word to us, um, black words on white paper, um, and, uh, and they're about His redemptive acts. Um, you can't go to the Bible in order to find out how to bake a cake mm-hmm. or um, uh, how to uh, build an airplane. Um, it's basically uh, a book that highlights God's redemptive works, and it's our rule for life and faith. Um, and it's really a book that's all about Jesus. But let's talk about the 30,000 overview uh, that you get. In the Old Testament, like you said, we're going to dive into the first five books next week, which is known as the Pentateuch. Um, They are the foundational books of the Old Testament scriptures um, that were written by God's people as they were traveling through um, the desert, away from Egypt and into the promised land. Um, And these five books were basically meant to let God's people know who the real God was uh, and how this God was caring for them uh, in the world that he created. Um, After that, you move into the historical books of the Old Testament, which basically recount a lot of history of God's people, um, the Jewish people in the Old Testament. Um, You get the kings outlined in 1st and 2nd Kings, 1st and 2nd Chronicles, um, and then you have some other historical books like Nehemiah, which is all about um, God's people going back and rebuilding the temple um, after it was destroyed the first time. You move after the historical books and you get into what we would call wisdom literature or uh, a lot of folks um, uh, might think of it as poetry. Um, There you find the Psalms and the Proverbs and Song of Solomon um, and uh, Ecclesiastes. um, And it's basically wisdom for how to live a godly life. Um, a lot of worship found in those uh, in that portion of God's word, and then after you get through uh, the wisdom literature, you move into the prophets, and you've got five main prophets in the Old Testament, and then twelve minor prophets. The five main prophets come first, and the twelve minor prophets come after that. And what is difficult for folks when we're talking about the Old Testament is sometimes you're reading um, a prophet, and you need to locate them historically. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's hard to do because you're reading the prophet at the end of the Old Testament, but you can also go to First, Second Kings, First, Second Chronicles and locate them um, in a certain period of time. And it helps you understand what that prophet's concern was mm-hmm. um, and what they were speaking towards and speaking against. And I think that if you can simply understand a lot of the main themes in each prophet, um, it makes them come to life. Yep. And you can apply them to, to your present day situation if you just understand a few tidbits. Yeah. And we're hopefully going to get to that in the coming months when we hit on prophets eventually is putting them in the, in the right context. But that's really the Old Testament. 
You've got those big chunks um, that you're looking at, and that's how your Old Testament in the English Bible is ordered. Um, then you move to the New Testament. You've got, you've got about 400 years of silence um, from Malachi, which is the last Old Testament book that was written, um, to uh, the um, incarnation of Christ, um, where Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John pick back up. And, you know, the Gospels, we've got the Gospel, which is the message of Christ's life, death, and resurrection. It's the good news. Mm -hmm. But then we also have the four Gospel accounts, or the Gospels, and that's a type of literature. Um, and they take on a historical flavor. I think we'll have a lot of fun diving into some nuances yep. uh, that we see in the Gospels um, and, uh, and basically recounting the life and ministry, uh, the death and resurrection of Jesus. Then you move into the book of Acts after that, and that's basically the historical book of the New Testament. Um, it's the beginnings of the church um, from about, you know, 35 A.D. after Christ died, 30, 35 A.D., um, up to about uh, 65 to 70 A.D., they're, they're recounting how the gospel is moving forward, not just in Jerusalem, but to Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Um, after Acts, what you have is just a litany of different letters that were written by different apostles. Primarily, the main one that you would know is Paul. Um, who writes a majority of the New Testament, but you've got others like Peter um, and John um, who are writing as well to, to different churches. And they are basically applying um, the message of the gospel to different locations. And so you have the church in Philippi, which was experiencing different things than the church in Galatia was, that was experiencing different things than the church in Rome was. And these letters are basically applying very specifically um, the teachings of Jesus to those specific church locations. Um, after the epistles uh, comes uh, kind of apocalyptic literature uh, in Revelation, um, and there John is the author of Revelation. Um, and that'll be a very interesting discussion to have is what in the world is he talking about? Mm -hmm. um, is he talking about present day? Is he talking about future events that are going to happen? Um, and there is, is lots that we can toss back and forth about Revelation, but we'll save that for maybe even into next year by the time we get yeah, there. Yeah, it um, could be. But um, those are that's just a general overview of the scriptures um, and um, really the redemptive acts of God. It's God's mission in the world. It's the story of his mission in the world to come and to renew all things. Um, you know, in Genesis, we basically forfeited um, what um, the goodness and the wholeness that we, we should have experienced. Um, and, and God wasn't going to let us go. He was going to continue to come after us. And, and the Bible is a story about how he does that. Mm -hmm. um, and so um, looking forward to jumping into some of these things more in depth, I guess, over the coming weeks. Yeah, it's going to be fun. Um, the, the first few weeks of this is going to feel like we're going book by book because it, in my mind, each book of the Pentateuch has uh, different themes that you, you just associate with them. And so it'll feel a little bit like that. That's not the overall goal. I think as we get into um, the histories, especially, and uh, some of the wisdom literature, we're going to be going more um, thematically and less mm -hmm. book by book, but it's going to be sort of tied through as to as you're reading your Bible, this is what's going on as you're kind of going through it. So sure. um, don't want think don't want folks to think that we're just going to be kind of systematically book by book going through no. there. It's going to be a little bit more. Um, I don't know if fluid is the right word, um, but looking at the major themes that you're going to yeah. encounter a little more macro. Yeah. Um, but the first few weeks, because the Pentateuch is so important, 
and um, and they're just interesting books. We're going to take a chance to do a little bit of micro dives, um, and maybe maybe move uh, like look at Genesis next week and, yep. and just stick with that. Sure. So yeah. Well, I think that's probably a good place to leave it as far as introduction. Uh, Michael, anything you want to leave the folks with? If you've got questions about Genesis or the Bible in general, please send them in. I know Jacob's going to remind you again, but we'd love to have some audience interaction and participation this fall. That's right. This is We've always liked questions, but this is especially going to be a series where um, they just really fit in. Um, uh, if you send one in, uh, we based on where we are in the series, we might hold it to when we're addressing that particular um, part of the Bible. Uh, so don't be discouraged if you don't hear it on the, the next podcast, but uh, please send those in. I think it's really going to help drive the discussion because, um, you know, Michael and I have our pet topics that we like to talk about and um, don't want to just harp on those. Mm-hmm. We really want to know what folks are interested in so we can kind of tailor the discussion in that way. Um, you can send those questions to questions at trinitygracesa.org. Or you can text those questions anonymously to the number that you'll find on the back of your bulletin. Uh, We hope to hear from you guys. We appreciate you tuning in. And until next time, we'll see you later.